Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Hope Church. In the March edition of a publication called The Christian Recorder in the year 1862, there was printed a phrase for the very first time that every person in this room has most likely heard. It's a phrase that honestly is quoted at you, usually probably back in grade school when somebody would make fun of you on the playground. It's a phrase that we've all heard quoted at us, and here is the phrase that was quoted in 1862. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Some of you guys recording that with me, you've heard that phrase first printed back in 1862. We don't really know much about it other than it was just printed in this publication, but it, it sounds cute, and I've been told that, and you've been told that, but the reality is it's, it's, it's a lie, right? It's not a true statement. Words can definitely hurt us, but what is awesome about what we're going to learn today is words can definitely help us. We're going to look at God's word today in the book of Ephesians all about our words. And you may think that's kind of a random topic to pick this day as we look at God's word. But we are in a series right now and we're studying as a church for almost a year now the New Testament book of Ephesians. The New Testament book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing a letter to church, a church in the city of Ephesus. And for the first three chapters, if you haven't been on the journey with us, go online and listen. We, we, we've really been laying a foundation. In the first three chapters of this book, Paul has been reminding the Ephesian Christians and us who we are in Christ. So we've had a screen, uh, a slide on the screen for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about it because we need to remind ourselves that in Christ, this is true of us. We are chosen, adopted, loved, accepted, favored, redeemed, forgiven, heirs, sealed, gifted. We need constant reminders. This is what the, the book of Ephesians and, and the gospel would say. We're not trying to be in Christ. That's who we currently are. And so for three chapters, Paul has been laying this foundation. And a few weeks ago, we made a significant transition. In chapter four, Paul makes a transition in this series we are calling Walk This Way. And here's what he's saying. Because of who you are, this is how you live. So we've been looking at very practical ways that we live our lives differently now because we're in Christ. And in verse 22 of chapter 4, he challenged us, the word of God challenged us to lay aside, this is a daily thing that you and I do, we lay aside the old self and walk in this new way. And so for several weeks, we've been looking at really, really, we said it was going to get in our face a little bit in the first week, and it has. We looked at very practical examples of what it looks like to lay aside the old self and walk in this way. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff talked about laying aside lying to walk in the truth, to laying aside sinful anger to walk in renewed anger. 
Last week, Pastor Tom taught us that we are to lay aside stealing to walk in generosity. And remember, this is not the the checklist of how to get a gold star in Christianity. Really try not to steal and not to tell lies and not to be sinfully angry. This is Paul simply saying, walk in who you are. This over here is not who you are anymore. So walk this way. So today we're going to continue this series with one verse that I believe is really going to challenge every one of us in our daily lives, and that is verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read the verse together this morning. Here's what Ephesians 4:29 says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Pretty simple verses. Our teaching team studied this. We really saw, and you probably saw as we just read it, really one theme that rises to the surface. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But before we do, I felt it necessary that we need to really lay a foundation so that we're all on the same page when it comes to this topic of words. And so to do that, I want to give you a few statements just as a foundation for our time together this morning. Here's the first one. Words are powerful. Now, I know that wasn't like blowing a lot of people's minds. Those three words aren't necessarily this massive aha moment for you, but this is true. Words are powerful. My wife and I are saying that phrase quite a bit in our lives right now. We have four kids, nine and under, and so there are a lot of words being spoken in my house. People who are learn, little people who are learning to speak in different ways from their friends and what they hear on TV, and it's like words are powerful. We are trying to show our kids words are powerful, and how you use them matters. The Bible would agree with that. That's not something that Scott and Candace came up with. This is what the Bible says, and so this is not an isolated thing that, that Paul is just kind of going on a rant in Ephesians talking about our words. This is something we see all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament this idea of words being powerful. So to to set the stage for us this morning, I want to read a bunch of these verses. They're not all going to be on the screen, but I I want to show you that the Bible would say that words are very, very powerful. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Look how intense Proverbs 18, 21 is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. All those who love it will eat its fruit. Psalm 141, verse 3 is a prayer. The psalmist is asking God, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Why? Because words are powerful. My favorite passage of scripture is actually an epistle in the New Testament. When it comes to words, it's James chapter 3. If you've never read James chapter 3, I highly encourage you this week in your God time, open up James chapter 3 and let God do some work in your soul because James chapter 3 talks all about our words. And he uses some imagery that I think is really helpful for us this morning. He compares our words to a a horse, which I know is really strange, but if you read the passage, you'll understand. He he talks about how massive a horse is. And I don't know if anyone's ever stood next to a horse, but it's kind of terrifying. Like these creatures are humongous. Like in one swift kick, they could totally end me, right? Just really massive creatures. And James talks about how with these massive creatures, we as humans just put these bits in their mouths. And with those little bits, we control everything about that horse. Speaking of this idea of our words and our, our tongue. 
He compares it to a ship, a massive, I think about a massive cruise ship with many, many levels. And James says it's like a ship and this huge, massive ship is controlled by what's underneath the surface. It's this little rudder. Compared to the size of the ship, the rudder is tiny, but it controls everything about the ship. He says in verse 5 of, of James 3, likewise, the tongue is small, but it makes great boasts compares the, the tongue or our words to a small spark that has the ability to set a forest on fire. What is this saying? Words are powerful. He, he kind of ends this, this monologue in James 3 verses 9 and 10. It will be on the screen. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. What he says there in verse 10 is out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. That's where I want our kind of foundation to land this morning before we go back to Ephesians. Here's two foundational truths that I believe we get right out of the word of God about words being powerful. Here's the first one. Words are powerful to help. Words are powerful to help. To illustrate this, I'll start by talking about the five love languages. Many of you have probably heard of the five love languages. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing philosophy about how you and I give and receive love. And there's really five ways that we give and receive love. One is acts of service, right? Acts of service. So I, I serve you and I, I, I love you by serving you. You love me by serving me. This is acts of service. Some of you are wired that way. Another one is gift giving. I, I feel love and I give love by gifts. Number three is, is physical touch. That one's kind of self-explanatory. Number four, quality time. Spending quality time with the people I love. That's how I give and receive love. And then number five, of course, is words of affirmation. Now, maybe some of you married somebody who has your exact love language, and I'm sure that just equals marital bliss all around, Right? I'm very happy for you. <laughs> See, for me, and I absolutely love my wife, Candace, but we are completely different love languages. Maybe you find yourself in that situation. My wife is 1,000% acts of service. Listen, man, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would change her love language to physical touch. It just hadn't happened yet, right? <laughs> she is acts of service all the way. So what does that mean? That means I could give her all the gifts in the world. I can hug her and hold her hand and rub her back. And I could spend quality time with her. I could tell her how amazing and beautiful she is and what a great mom she is. And she's like, really, thank you. That's awesome. But can you like take out the trash or something, right? Like that is her love language. Now me, as much as she is, word, or as much as she is acts of service, I, like many men I know, is our words of affirmation is how you love and I give love and receive love. Words of affirmation. What does that mean? My wife could look at me and say something to me in an encouraging way, and I don't care what's in my way or what's going on that day, I can take on the world, right? It encourages me. It helps me in an unbelievable way because words are powerful to help. You understand that in your own life. Think about the many speeches, the incredible speeches that really echo throughout the walls of history. A pastor named Martin Luther King Jr. stood at the Washington Monument in 1963 and he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We learn that in school. I mean, this is an unbelievably powerful way to use words that help. 
exactly 100 years earlier in 1863, our president stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg and he said four score and seven years ago, and I cannot quote it like Pastor Stan did a few weeks ago so eloquently, but an amazing speech, right? What a powerful way to help our nation in a time where we needed it. Words are powerful to help. The Bible itself, we call it the word of God. This is inspired by the Spirit of God, given to authors to write down letters and and different ways of getting us the Word of God, and it's all through the words of men, but we understand it comes from God. It is powerful to help. Pastor Jeff mentioned it, but I was just, had the awesome opportunity to lead worship alongside our team at our student summer camp this summer, and I love student camp. In 2003, I was 16 years old, and I gave my life to Jesus at a student summer camp. So anytime I get a part of being a part of a student summer camp, I jump at the opportunity because I love to see God change students' lives at camp. And what I love the most, I was talking to Jeff about it earlier in, in the day, is I love the first day you see the kids there that maybe were forced to go or their friend invited them. They didn't really know what they were getting into, and they're just kind of in the back, arms folded, not really wanting to be a part of what's going on. But throughout the week, through the word of God and the spirit of God and the words of their counselors and encouragers and the words of their small group, there is such an encouragement. By the end of the week, those kids have totally been transformed, lifting their hands in worship, getting after the Lord. Why? Because words are powerful. And with it, we see God use amazing people and amazing things to change people. Think about a time, you probably don't have to think very far, where you were incredibly encouraged by somebody in your life. Like you were, being, you were being beat up or discouraged in life and you felt like you were down and somebody looked at you and encouraged you with something that just lifted your spirits and put wind in your sails and you thought, man, I am so encouraged right now because of somebody else's words. Words are powerful to help. Second foundational truth as we continue to study today is words are powerful to hurt. Words are definitely powerful to help, but words are powerful to hurt. I want to be sensitive here because I, like you, have moments in our lives where we remember some very hurtful things that people have said to us. You probably don't have to think very far. Some of you right now, there are some things being uncovered, and I want to be very sensitive that there were some things said to you maybe decades ago that have incredibly hurt you. The use of words being powerfully used to hurt you. I thought about this this week, and honestly, it's a little terrifying to think about, but me and you can say something in 10 seconds that will last in the hearts of the people we said it to for 10 or more years. We can speak something that is so powerful to hurt in 10 seconds and forget all about it, but they will never forget about it. I have the power today in my family with my wife and my kids and the guys that I walk with. I can speak something to them that will forever mark them in a hurtful way. Proverbs speaks to this in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Sometimes when you have words spoken at you, that's what it feels like. The thrust of a sword. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, said it this way. I thought he said it so well. Words designed to hurt are like toxic chemicals. Once they get into the ground, they just pollute everything. Sticks and stones can only break our bones, but words can be soul-destroying. Some of you have experienced that. Words are incredibly powerful to help, but words are powerful to hurt as well. 
Jesus had a lot to say about our words. I love when you follow Jesus, or when you follow Jesus' teaching, rather, in the New Testament. He, he starts talking about things that seem like pretty insignificant and small, and then he shows you why it's a really big deal. It's not just outward stuff, it's inward stuff, and he does that with our words. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said this, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Some of us have heard that growing up in church, out of the overflow, uh, out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And maybe you've heard people say something like this, man, I'm just the kind of guy that speaks my mind. Honestly, I've said that a lot. I'm kind of a blunt guy, and sometimes I say, man, I, I'm just a guy, you get to know me, I'm going to speak my mind. Well, Jesus just plainly said, we don't speak our mind, we speak our heart. And what's in our heart is coming out through our words. Words are powerful to help and to hurt. And so before we jumped into Ephesians 4.29, I thought we needed to lay a foundation, get on the same page about the power of our words. Words are powerful. So now that we're on the same page, we're going to read again Ephesians 4.29, kind of unpack it a little bit and finish up our time this morning. Ephesians 4.29 says this, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Again, not a lot of Greek word study we need to do to see what that is saying. I love how immensely practical the last few weeks have been for us as a church. We said earlier it was going to kind of get in our face a little bit, and it has. There's not a lot of Greek study you have to do to find out what Ephesians 4.29 is saying. So here is the point today. We'll unpack it a little bit. And hopefully give you some really, really applicable ways to apply it. Here's the point for our time together this morning. We lay aside, because of who we are in Christ, we lay aside destructive words to speak in a way that encourages others. Again, all throughout this series, we're looking at what the Word of God says. We are to lay aside this daily surrender. We lay aside destructive words to speak in a way that encourages others. I'm going to break down this passage. It starts by talking about unwholesome words. Let no unwholesome word. It's a word that means corrupt or destructive. Really, it's a picture of rotten fruit. It's completely useless. Don't let those things leave your mouth. I remember hearing when I was a student in student ministry, I, was, I heard a, a sermon by a youth pastor. and I'm sure his heart was good, but he was talking to a bunch of teenagers. And so he kind of boiled this verse down to don't cuss, right? He pretty much said, listen what the Bible says. Don't use four-letter words, period, end of story. But that sells this verse short of what it really means to speak unwholesome words. As I studied this and looked at different commentators, there's kind of a running list of things that this unwholesome words phrase really means. And here they are. Unwholesome words means lying, abusive language, vulgar references, vicious and unkind words, gossip, slander. See, this is way deeper than don't use four-letter words. This is heart stuff. Everything that, I, that comes out of my mouth that is destructive the Bible is saying that's not who you are anymore. The Bible is saying don't walk in this way, walk in this way. And what does it say? To, to only edify or to build others up. See, if I'm honest, sometimes when I read those very exclusive phrases in the Bible, like don't do this, only do this, I kind of wish the only wasn't there, right? You probably do too. You kind of wish there was the word sometimes in there, right? Like don't use unwholesome words 
But if there's something going on and you're really, really, really mad, you may use these words. Right? Don't use, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth except when you really need to vent about that best friend to another friend who's there right now and isn't in the room. Except when there's an opportunity at work and if you just cut down the person that is ahead of you right now and getting that position, if you just cut them down a little bit in front of the boss, maybe you can get that position. Except then, then it's okay. A little closer to home, if you're in a small group, a lot of times this happens and I've been right there. Wish it said sometimes that let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth unless you're sharing a prayer request about somebody who's not there and you really want to unpack and give some context for why we're praying about this and really it just turns into a gossip session and you're slandering the person who's not there. Wish it said that sometimes, but here's what it says. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only, it's a word that is exclusive, only Jesus follower Speak words that edify and build up. I need to confess this, church, that this week as I studied this, I was kind of studying in between sessions at camp and stuff, and I had several conversations where I'm like, man, this wrecked me this week. This is not up in the air spiritual stuff that doesn't just apply to our daily lives. This got in my face this week because I didn't even try, but I was found myself in situations where it was so easy to have these conversations that all of a sudden turned into vulgar references or abusive language or gossip or slander. And I didn't even try to make it happen. It just kind of came to me. This isn't like one day later down the road, months from now, when you deal with the temptation to do this. If you live in this world, you are going to be tempted to let unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, like probably within the hour of you leaving here. So Paul here is really getting into the day-to-day stuff that we live, and he's saying, Lay it aside, the unwholesome words. Lay aside destructive speech. Lay aside those destructive, corrupt, rotten fruit words and speak only in a way that encourages people. Why? Because that's not who you are anymore. I mentioned I gave my life to Christ at a a summer camp in 2003. And I I really, I love that 21 plus students gave their lives to Jesus at camp this week. That's so amazing. And I love that. But here's the deal. I know how those students are feeling today because it's kind of a weird feeling. Like I went to camp and the Bible says, theologically speaking, I was completely transformed. I'm a new creature in Christ. But when I got back on the bus, I kind of felt the same. So I'm going, I'm going back to my everyday life, but I'm a believer in Jesus now. So I always pray for those first few days and weeks and months of new believers. Because honestly, it can be a little awkward because you almost feel like in a weird in-between place. Praise God in his grace. He sent me a friend of mine that was actually here at the 815 service. I didn't know he was coming, but a guy named Frank. He was a leader at the church that I was at. And on the bus ride home from giving my life to Christ, Frank was going out to a movie with a bunch of students. And he looked at me and said, Scott, I want you to come to the movie. And I had no idea that that invitation was going to open up. Now we're 15 years later. And for five years, Frank and I met every single week at Starbucks. And that man opened God's word. and He showed me what it looked like to follow Jesus. It was amazing. It was unbelievable the growth I had in that time in my life. Just somebody walking with me through 
looking what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, you have to know about me before I gave my life to Christ. I grew up in an amazing home, but it was a home not necessarily centered around on Jesus. And so a part of my life, a huge part of my life was being a part of the skateboard culture in Las Vegas and being a part of like the punk rock culture in Las Vegas. Now, if you know anything about those cultures, wholesome would not be a great word to describe that, right? I mean, it probably goes without saying, but if Blink-182 is your favorite band for like a decade, chances are unwholesome words are going to proceed out of your mouth. If you don't know who Blink-182 is, don't even worry about it. But I remember the day. I was just being me. I loved Jesus. I was trying to follow him, and I was just learning. It was like a fire hydrant those first few years. And I remember there was a day, and I asked Frank if you remember this conversation. He said, I remember it very well. But Frank looked across the table at me at Starbucks, and he said this. He said, Scott, you need to stop speaking the way you're speaking. And I, of course, was offended, right? This is me. This is who I am. Don't try to change me. And I said, well, what do you mean? He looked at me, and I remember this like it was yesterday. He said, how you speak is inconsistent with who you now are. And I wish I could say I high-fived him and said, thank you so much for that. That's such a great, encouraging word. I didn't. But I look back now, 15 years later, at that conversation, and it changed me forever. Am I saying there's going to be slip-ups? Of course. Am I saying there's going to be areas of struggle? Of course. I have those. You have those. But that moment marked me. Who, how you speak, Scott, is inconsistent with who you now are. This is what Ephesians 4, 29 is saying. Lay aside who you were to walk in who you now are. So to close today, I want to hopefully give us a very helpful way to make this practical. God forbid we have these awesome times of church where we come together and we don't really know how to apply it. You, you wake up tomorrow, you go to work, and you don't know what to do with what we learned in church. And so I want to hopefully give you a very helpful filter that you can kind of lay over every conversation you and I have as Jesus followers and help us walk this way. So here's the first part of this filter. Ask yourself this in conversations. Is what I'm saying right now kind, helpful, or encouraging? Every conversation you have, is this kind? Is this how, what are those words? Those are edifying words. If you speak words that are kind, helpful, or encouraging, it will build others up around you. I got this phrase. This is a phrase we use with our kids a whole lot. And this week, God really challenged me that this isn't just for kids. This is for Christians. This is what Ephesians 4.29 is saying. Do you build others up in your language? Do you build others up with how you speak to them? You have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, do people leave conversations with me more drained and discouraged or energized and encouraged? We all have met those people. You have conversations with them, and you, the life just gets like sucked out of you in that conversation. And those people sometimes claim to follow Jesus. I do that to people sometimes, and I am a Jesus follower. Man, is what I'm saying right now building this person up? Do they leave more drained and discouraged or excited and encouraged? We read Proverbs 12, 18 earlier. We read half of it. Here's the other half. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You have incredible power to, to edify, to build others up when you speak in a way that's kind, helpful, and encouraging. And don't miss this. The good for edification doesn't necessarily always mean great flowery words. Sometimes you're, the helpful word that you need to speak is what Frank spoke to me that day at Starbucks. 
I grew up playing sports like maybe many of you, and there's times when a coach very rightly corrects something because he sees it being wrong, very wrong in the future, and so he corrects something. It doesn't feel like a great edification in the moment, but it's making me better for the future. I remember specifically when I played baseball, I had some issues with my swing. And I remember my coach in high school would literally make me run to where I didn't think I could run anymore. Why? Because I was trying to swing the wrong way. And he was edifying me by saying, you're doing it wrong. Please don't hear everything you say has to be flowery and nice. But you do have to ask the question, am I tearing somebody down right now or am I building them up? Even if they don't feel it in the moment, is this for their edification? For me, if I'm honest, and maybe for you too, sometimes I intentionally speak harsh words not to build others up, but to build myself up. I want to feel better about this whole conversation or this whole thing right now. And so I'm building myself up and I'm going to intentionally speak a harsh word. And I'm not necessarily thinking about the person who I'm speaking to. I'm more thinking about myself. Is what I'm saying kind, helpful, or encouraging? Here's the second part of the filter is what I'm saying, is this right for the moment? It says, speak words of edification, but only such a word according to the need of the moment. What is this saying? There is a time and place to say certain things. Proverbs 25 agrees with this. It says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Now, I've never had an apple of gold in settings of silver, but it sounds amazing. And what is this talking about? It's talking about value. There is great value in speaking a word at a proper time and holding my words when it's not the proper time. Now, what you have to know about me is I am a chronic speak-before-I-think kind of guy. My mom is in the service somewhere, and she literally all the time as a kid, I remember having conversations. She said, Scott, think about what you say before you say it. Right now, it's like in my, in my brain, out my mouth immediately. Like that is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And so if you are like that, please write down this next sentence because I got wrecked by this this week. I stared at it for a very long time. Everything you say needs to be true. But you don't need to say everything that is true. Everything you say needs to be true. If you don't believe me, look, go back to a couple weeks ago when Pastor Jeff talked about lying. We are to be truth tellers. Everything you say must be true. But you don't need to say everything that's true. Maybe you've struggled with that like I have. What is this? This is the looking for the need of the moment. There are times when God would have me not say something that may be true because it's not right for the moment. Before we move on from this, we have to look at the issue that is always wrong for the moment. There is a type of speech that is always wrong for the moment. There's never a moment where it's right. And that is gossip, slander. Speaking about other people when they are not in the room to hear it, defend themselves, or give their two cents at all. It's crazy how many times you'll be tempted, probably today, definitely tomorrow, many dozens of times this week, to gossip and slander when the people aren't in the room. That is never, that is always wrong for the moment. That is never a right moment situation. Augustine, the church father, had a sign. I read this this week. He had a sign hung on the wall above his dining room table. 
in his kitchen where people would gather for meals. And here's what the sign said above his table. Whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Church, I gotta be honest with you, I was challenged this week and I thought, could I hang that sign in my house? How many times, how many weeks, how many months would I have to take that sign down because of the lack of integrity that stood on it? This is such an easy temptation to fall into. Always wrong for the moment, gossip. So those are, the, those are two of the, 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 the filters. Kind, helpful, encouraging. Is, is everything I'm saying kind, helpful, encouraging? Number two, is this right for the moment? And finally, is this full of grace? The last part of this verse says it will give grace to those who hear. Paul, in another letter he wrote to the Colossian church, he said in verse, uh, in verse six of chapter four, let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, Paul is encouraging us and encouraging the Ephesians of who they are. We have been, as Jesus followers, we are people who have been saved by incredible, amazing, crazy grace. The question is, does that grace come out in the way you speak? As I talk and I have conversations, does does the fact that I am saying I'm saved by grace, does that look actually relevant in what I am saying? Is that something that people can see in the way that I speak? Paul here is saying it will always give grace to those who hear. Show them who you are in Christ. Now, I know for some of you, like me this week, you're looking at all this and you're saying, I failed miserably. So I love that we're talking about this at church I love that we're looking at what the word of God says about this because there is always grace for you in the gospel. If you're like, man, I completely missed it this week. I I miss this every day. I prayed with a few people this morning that said, man, this is such a struggle for me. And they honestly have separated what they say and their relationship with God. And there's not much connection, but we're seeing from God's word today, not only is there a connection, Jesus is saying what is in my heart as a Christian is coming out of my life, coming out of my mouth. So there is grace for you today. For me, one of the most humbling but amazing pictures of the gospel that I've got to experience over the last nine years or so is my relationship with my kids. When I lose it on one of my kids and I raise my voice in a way that is just harsh, or God help me, I say something that I know is gonna hurt their feelings, even if accidentally, and I see the the color on their face drain, they just look at me like, why would you say that to me? And you have to go as a grown man into a seven-year-old's bedroom, and you have to say, Dad missed it. Dad needs Jesus. I wasn't trusting Christ in that moment, and I said something to you that I didn't mean, and I'm really sorry. Can we pray together? You want to talk about being humbled and, 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 and encouraged by the gospel. Show your kids how much you need Jesus, just like they need Jesus. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. And maybe for you, that's where you find yourself today. Maybe it's not with your kids, but it's just in your life. You go, man, I missed this, and I need to press into the gospel. I need to trust Christ because I can't do this apart from him. And hopefully this practical filter will kind of help us. And maybe you're thinking, there's no way. Am I supposed to enter every conversation with these questions? Is this kind, helpful, or encouraging? Is this give grace to those who hear? Is this right for the moment? And it is, can be a little overwhelming. And I think maybe that's why James in chapter 1, verse 19, said what he said. He said, everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. Our words, church, are not insignificant. 
we have been incredibly helped and incredibly hurt by the power of words. And here in Ephesians 4, we are being challenged to lay aside destructive words and to speak in a way that only encourages and builds up. There's power in words. Because of who we are in Christ, we should watch our words. Let's pray together this afternoon. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it does in our hearts. I thank you for how you challenge us, how you encourage us, how you convict us. I pray right now as we respond for just a few minutes, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. God, you know every heart, every thought, every hurt, every encouragement that's ever happened in the people's lives that are before me. And I pray you would just touch where needs to be touched to, to allow them to take steps towards you to encourage them in, in their walk with Christ. So we respond, I just want to ask a few questions and some of it will apply to you, some of it won't. But I think all of it, at some point, you'll be asked a question that will apply to you and pray that God just continues to work and move. But I really do believe and I know that many people in this room have been severely hurt by words. In fact, Maybe what I said earlier when I asked to think about the time where you were really hurt by words, maybe you didn't hear much of anything I heard, I said after that because you were just so dwelling on what happened last month or last year or last decade. What I want to encourage you, if you have been severely hurt by words, is that there is grace for you today. The Bible says his grace is sufficient for you today. Maybe you're here today and you know you have hurt people with your words. There are conversations, again, you've had recently or a very long time ago that when I said that, you thought, that's me. Again, the same gospel is true for you, and I want to encourage you. There is grace for you today. His grace is sufficient in your weakness. So maybe what needs to happen today is maybe for some of you, you need to ask somebody for forgiveness you know you've hurt them with your words. And today, I talked to several people already that said, I got to make a phone call when I get home. Because you've heard the word of God and God is impressed on your heart. You need to call and you need to ask somebody for forgiveness. Forgive me for what I said to hurt you. There is never a wrong time to ask somebody for forgiveness. Maybe others of you need to forgive somebody. Today, your response after hearing the word of God is you have been severely hurt by words and you need to show that person the grace of God and say, I forgive you. I was hurt, but God has shown me incredibly amazing, crazy grace and I forgive you. Doesn't make it go away. Doesn't make it not wrong. But you forgive them because you've been forgiven so much. For the rest of us, we need to take a look at our lives and really ask the question, am I laying aside destructive words and speaking in a way that encourages others? This verse deeply convicted me this week, just about the things that I don't necessarily even think much about on a day-to-day -day basis, that the Word of God would say, think about those things, lay them aside. So many times I disconnect the words that I say in my relationship with God as if they're two completely separate things. The Bible said today they're not. 
So do you, in your daily life, are you somebody who has a characteristic of lying or abusive language, vulgar references, vicious and unkind words, gossip, slander? Listen, there's grace for you today, but lay it aside. Lay it aside. Speak in a way that encourages and builds others up. For some of you today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I just want to gently and lovingly tell you that everything we've been talking about the last several weeks, if you just focus on the doing, it's just a Band-Aid that won't cure your heart. Your heart needs a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and I try to go out and not speak vulgar words and not, and not lie and not steal, it is a Band-Aid for the real problem, which is I am spe- separated from God because of my sin. But Jesus stepped in so that you didn't have to be anymore. So maybe your response today is you need to meet Jesus. Like those 21 kids at summer camp, like I did in 2003 at summer camp. I heard of God's amazing love for me and that he died on a cross and bore my sin so I didn't have to. And that he invites me into a relationship. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be good because he's my father and he cares for me. So maybe today you need to... In just a minute, when we stand and sing, there's going to be some pastors up here. I'm going to be down front. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to come and and have us pray for you and some things that we talked about today. For others of you, maybe there's just things going on in your lives every week. It's such an honor for our pastors to sit down here and to intercede on your behalf. You have things going on in your family, your health, financial situation, job situation. We would love as your pastors to pray for you. So as we sing, we are going to respond however God is leading. Jesus, I pray right now you would do what you do. God, I pray that you would continue to press down on us wherever we need to be challenged, convicted, encouraged. I pray for all the people of Hope Church today that we would not hear the word of God and walk away as if we didn't. Move now, have your way. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name.